Well, this morning we started uh, we started a a thought out of Second Timothy chapter four. Familiar, familiar passage of scripture. You'll recognize it immediately, but uh, it's kind of a a basis for a series of messages we want to have tonight, and Lord willing, the next two Sunday evenings. And we introduced it this morning. I mentioned that I've been at many bedsides of people that weren't long for this world. And I've had on a few occasions the holy privilege to actually witness their crossing, which, by the way, is an experience like none other, to know that somebody has passed from this sin-sick world to the very presence of their Creator. It's, it's an astounding thing when you really ponder it. And everybody that I've been with in these kind of situations fall into one of two categories. And I'm not talking about their salvation. I'm talking about saved people. They come to this time and they're either ready or unready. Now, they're saved. They're ready in, in his, that their eternity settled. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we come to that moment like Paul did his. Paul's in his 60s probably, his early 60s, the best we can guess. We don't know how old he was, what year he was born. Uh, We don't know how old he was. He was probably around the same age as Jesus. And so by this point in his life, he'd have been in his early 60s. And Paul is about to be beheaded by Nero. And this is what he says. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And I'm just really arrested by that phrase, for I am now ready. And that's an important word, that word now. That means there was a point in his life he wasn't, but now he is. And as he faces eternity, as he he looks to this moment, his tone is one of triumph, (laughs) of triumph. Now, he has mentioned that, and he will later, that everybody's forsaken him, Demas and Crescens, Titus has gone to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. But I think that's just a statement of fact. I think he's reached a point now where his focus is completely on Jesus. And so we asked this question this morning, what do we need to have ready? And we talked about how we need, that's the theme, ready. What do we need to have ready? First of all, we've got to have a ready future. I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to make sure that everyone has their eternity ready, that you are saved and on your way to heaven, because without that, you've got nothing. And we spent some time on that to make sure that you're ready as far as your eternity. But then, do we have a ready family? Now, what does that mean? Paul said he was ready to be offered. That offered is, is a, a, a sacrifice specifically that's a drink offering. What he's saying is, I am being poured out. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, have we poured out everything we've got to our family? 
I'm not just talking about our, our kids and our spouse. I'm talking about everybody in the family of God. We're saved. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I ought to be pouring into you as much as I can. I ought to be pouring into my family and my kids as much as I can. And when my day comes, can I say, you know what? I'm poured out. I left it all on the field. I got nothing left. That's what we should be able to say. And when we do that, we'll have a ready family. But then finally, that ready feeling. How do I know that this was a triumphant tone? Because of that word departure. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. And that word departure was used in four ways. It was used of an unyoked animal, an unfettered prisoner, loosened tent ropes, and a ship loosed from his moorings. So what is Paul saying when he says, the time of my departure is at hand? My labor's over, my freedom has come, my permanent home is ready, and my journey home has begun. That all sounds like good things to me. (laughs) And so that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we have a ready future, most importantly? A ready family and that ready feeling. So tonight what we want to do is we want to look and see how Paul got there. What, what, What brought Paul to that place of readiness. And we're going to, Lord willing, spend the next three Sunday nights breaking down verse number seven. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. So tonight, with the Lord's help, we begin with the first step of being ready. And that's the step of a fighting spirit. A fighting spirit. Father, would you help us tonight as we look to this, Lord? Help me to be clear, concise, and useful. May I rightly divide your word of truth and be a help to your people. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that's not saved, I pray they trust Christ. And I pray that Christians will be helped and that Jesus will be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Well, I'm preaching a predominantly Baptist tonight, so a fighting spirit, man, that's right where we want to be, right? Yeah. A fighting spirit. Oh, I want to be careful about how I handle this. Would y'all permit me? I made a bad mistake wearing a wool jacket today. This thing's hot and I'm about to go down. Don't get me wrong, it's a spectacular jacket. It's not as spectacular as Isaac's, but it's spectacular. (laughs) I fought a good fight. You've been under my preaching long enough, and hopefully you've seen from my example that I don't believe in just indiscriminately being difficult with people. As much as life in you live peaceably with all men. But you understand that there comes a point that sometimes we've got to push back. We have to be ever ready in the right spirit and in the right way to say this is right and this is wrong. And be willing to fight for it. Paul says, I fought a good fight. You see, here's the reality, the reality of Paul's life. Paul makes it clear that he lived a life of combat. Hold your place here and go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I say this lovingly, friend. If you can go your entire Christian life and never offend anybody, you did something wrong. Now, we don't go out looking to offend people. But the fact is, they that live godly in Christ Jesus 
shall suffer persecution. You're going to have people come against you. It's just going to happen. And, and we have some Christians that think that, that what they need to do is they need to make it through this life without rocking the boat, without, you know, making any waves. No, friend, if we stand for Christ, we are going to have conflict. And I don't know about you, friend, but if I have to be in a fight, I want to win it. I don't know anybody gets in a fight to lose. The closest that I could come to that is back in the day when, you know, Tyson was the man. I might have took a punch for the money people were getting to fight Mike Tyson. I'd have needed it to get, you know, out of the hospital, but still. That's the closest thing I could imagine. But the reality of it is, if I'm in a fight, if I'm in a conflict, I want to be victorious. And yet we're raising a whole generation of milquetoast, wimpy Christians that don't know how to defend their faith, and if they do, they refuse to do it. I'm getting cranked up. Paul admits to having lived a life of combat. Ephesians chapter 6, we, we get some questions answered here. First of all, he had an adversary. Some Christians walk through this world like you don't have any enemies. I got news for you, friend. If you're saved, you got enemies. But it's not who you think it is. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a member of the re-elect Joe Biden committee. But he's not my enemy. I'm not a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. By the way, they're holding open tryouts this week. But they're not the enemy. They're close, but they're not the enemy. Fact of the matter is, people in other countries, Soviet Union was never the enemy. Hollywood, for all the foolishness that's going over there, is not the enemy. Paul made it clear who the adversary is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You read through 1 John, you find out who our three enemies are. The first enemy is the devil. He's against you, friend. He's against you. Then the second enemy is the world. I don't mean the individuals of the world, I mean the system and the philosophy of the world. And by the way, you can't have any measure of the world in your life and be right with God. The Bible says they would be friends of the world. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. They're enemies. They're mutually exclusive. You cannot embrace the philosophies of the world and be a friend of God. Just can't. But you know what my enemy is more than anything else? My flesh. Sometimes I make it mighty easy for the world and the devil. That's the enemy, friend. And Paul battled those three adversaries. For his, and listen, he went up against some, some terrible people. And ultimately, his life would be taken by Nero himself. But he said, those aren't the enemies. Quit wasting your time trying to make the governor look bad or the president look bad or this party look bad or this group look bad. Make Jesus as big as you can in your life. And that's what will get it done. He had an adversary. But I got good news for you. You got an adversary, but the Lord also provided you with some armor. We're still in Ephesians chapter 6. 
Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. The whole armor. That's important. Some Christians like some of the armor and some of it they leave behind. That's bad news, y'all. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Don't forget this one, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What am I saying? Yes, you are against a very, very formidable adversary, but friend, I got news for you. God's given you all the armor you need. Now, something to notice about this armor, it only covers the front. So you keep facing and you keep moving forward. Because as soon as you turn your back and run, you are uncovered. And that's when people get hurt. You see, Paul had an adversary. And Paul had some armor. But you know what else? There was an aftermath. As Paul lays there in the Mamertine prison, what we notice about Paul is, first of all, he was scarred. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Sometimes if I'm not careful, I can be so whiny. Brother Hensley, I'll tell you, some days it's hard being a pastor. And we pastors like to get together and talk to each other about how hard it is to be a pastor. Now, the truth of the matter is, there are elements of this that are difficult. And for their sake, I don't want to minimize that. Sometimes I can get so stinking whiny. I'll tell you when God really brings me under conviction. Of all places, mowing grass. Because without fail, every time I get on that thing, God reminds me of the place he's given me to live and the wherewithal he's given me to take care of it and even the mower that he's given me to ride on. And it's almost as though the Holy Spirit is saying, why don't you just shut up and quit whining? Look at what I've given you. But even short of that, look at what I've given you. Look at what Paul says. This is what we've got laying in the Mamertine prison. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. By the way, this was written before 2 Timothy, so more has happened between this passage and where he's dying. This is just for start. 
thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Remember at Lystra? It was bad enough they thought he was dead. Thrice, this kills me. If somebody's in one shipwreck, that's pretty big. He's been in three of them. If I'm somebody else and see Paul getting on my boat, I'm like, I'll take the next one. (laughs) Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Now, you might like water. You might enjoy the ocean. But take any of the seas over there, Mediterranean, Aegean, Adriatic, any of them. There's none of those that you want to be floating in for a night and a day. But he did. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. (laughs) And I like verse 28 what us pastors whine about. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh from me daily, the care of all the churches. So besides all that, Corinth, I got to deal with sister such and such. By the time this man is laying in the Mamertine prison, he is scarred, to say the least. This guy has been through more than just about anybody else could ever testify to. And yet, and yet, he's rejoicing. Why? Because Paul may have been scarred, but people were being saved. And that's where he found his joy. We talked about the tensing of the words this morning. When he says, I've fought a good fight, that word fought, it's it's the perfect tense, and it means an action that is completed in the past but continues to have results. What's he saying? My fight's over, but it's going to keep on yielding victories. I'm done fighting. I'm about to lay it all down, but it's going to keep on making a difference. It's going to do it through you, Timothy. It's going to do it through all those people we've won to Christ. It's going to do it through these churches that we planted. It's just going to keep on, keep on getting victories for Jesus Christ. A pacifist approach that doesn't seek to advance our faith is just not biblical. I get nauseous, spiritually speaking, when I hear somebody say, well, my, pri- my faith's a private matter. No, it ain't either. It is not. The Great Commission five times over would say it's not a private matter. Can I give you this? 
our faith is worth fighting for. Now, let's make a caveat here. It is not worth fighting about. And that's where we get hung up. We're real good at fighting about things. But we fall short of fighting for it. And what if we put as much or more energy in fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ, striving together as we do fighting about things? To finish in a state of readiness, we must first be willing to fight. If I'm aware in my last hours, it is my hope, my prayer, that I'm able to say I fought a good fight. I fought for my kids. I fought for my church. I fought for my country. But more than anything, I fought for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hour is not one that demands pacifists, friends. Our hour demands Christians that are willing to lovingly, in a Christ-like spirit, be willing to fight for what matters. Because if we want, if we want to finish like Paul did and be ready... We have to have fought. But we're so quick to, well, (laughs) preacher, I don't like conflict. Contrary to what some people may believe, I hate it. I want no part of it. But is it necessary? Yeah. It's been attributed to Edmund Burke, and I think that's probably the right person to give it to. He said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And how much evil is advanced in this world because good Christians did nothing, said nothing, didn't fight. Man, I want to be able to say I'm now ready. I'm now ready. But that's only going to happen with a fighting spirit. What comes next? I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Over the next two Sunday nights, we're going to continue talking about being ready. And that happens, first of all, with a fighting spirit, faithful steadfastness, and fidelity to Scripture. If we hold those three, then we too, when we come to the end of this, whether it's laying in a bed somewhere or on our way up in the eastern skies, we can say, by God's grace, I'm now ready.